Hey, good morning. It's good to see you this morning, to be back with you today. Um, I don't know if you've been watching or aware of uh, anything going on in Haiti. I know uh, many of you, or some of you at least, have been to Haiti and, and spent time with either Fennel or, or um, out east or out west on the other end of the island, right? Um, I, I've got some, uh, things are getting difficult there and just wanted to update you with some very current report from Fennel. Um, he says, Haiti is in great turmoil, worse than usual. And if you know Fennel, you know that that's, um, that he doesn't, he doesn't tip that without some real reality, some struggle there. He said, it's better in Jockmail in terms of protests and roadblocks. However, can't find diesel fuel. There's no electricity in town. Food is expensive and not available in many places. The kids haven't been to school in six days, and there's not much food at the stores. So those are people we know and care about. Remember them as if you were there. Try to put yourself in that position and, and, uh, and to be interceding for them, asking the Father to restore order and peace in the midst of an environment that is very uh, corrupt and often dysfunctional. But God's got kids there and, and their family to us. So let's be praying for them. Um, also can let you know that I had coffee with Eddie this week, and you're doing a good job of ignoring him. Way to go. <laughs> now, when he gets back, you can love on him like you ordinarily do, but a couple more weeks of just pretending like he's gone, all right? And, uh, but they're doing really well. They're resting well and refreshing, and, and they're going to come back, and he's going to be a better version of himself than he's been for a while. So not that there's anything wrong with, it, with what it was up to that point, but it's going to be even better, if you can imagine that. So thank you for, for honoring that time for them to just get away and, and to just, uh, just disengage a bit. We're going to continue this morning. I've got two more weeks this morning and next week in this series of the cycle of grace and then a kind of a wrap-up message that first of March. We've talked the first two weeks. Uh, again, as, as I heard Pastor Trevor Hudson present this material, deeply impacted me, and it starts this cycle of grace with an awareness of, of God's acceptance. And we focused in on that declaration that Jesus heard as he came up from the waters of baptism, as he heard the Father proclaim, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. It was those words that launched him into his ministry, vital words or awareness for us to embrace as well, to be aware of how much the Father loves us. And how much pleasure he draws from us. That's foundational to everything about who we are in Christ. Are you aware of the Father's acceptance? And as you become aware of that, then what we talked about last week is you begin to respond to that infusion of grace and you begin to pursue it. You begin to do the things that you can do to invest in that relationship because once you've experienced that grace, it it draws you, it's attracting, and you want to develop it, and oh, develop it we can endlessly all the way home. Our relationship with him doesn't start when this body gives up and we're in heaven. It's the here and now. It's right now available to us. Father's waiting. 
Son and Spirit all waiting for us to begin to invest, to allow that grace to just flourish in our, in our connection with Him, that we might know Him and enjoy Him. Now, we begin to turn the corner a little bit this week as thus far the grace has been infusion. It's been on its way in. But now what we're going to begin thinking about is that ultimately this grace is not designed to just be consumed and enjoyed, just personally experienced. Because as we are aware of our connection with him and as we begin to respond and develop that intimacy with him, that grace is going to find its way out of us. We are going to become a vital piece of the delivery system of God's grace to this world. Every single one of us has a unique part and place in the world becoming aware of God's grace, His love and pleasure that He takes in us, the opportunity that we have to know Him and enjoy Him. We all have a place of that significant of significance in that process that's nothing new you've heard that but oh it's awful easy for us to dismiss ourselves from that we're going to close that door today you're going to have to come face to face with the uniqueness that God has built into you for his kingdom. I'm going to start this morning with a quote from Dallas Willard. I've been reading a lot of Willard lately. This one is especially applicable to our time together this morning. He says, we will never have the easy, unhesitating love of God that makes obedience to Jesus our natural response unless we are absolutely sure that it is good for us to be and to be who we are. To be and to be who we are, vitally important. See, that goes back to those foundational, the declaration of God loving us and finding pleasure in us and our investing in that relationship. We get comfortable. We get settled into that relationship with him. Vitally important for it to be there. This means, he goes on to say, we must have no doubt that the path appointed for us by when and where and to whom we were born is good. Can I summarize that? God didn't make any mistake about how you got here, into the world, to to whose environment that you came through and who has been touching and impacting your life. That's no mistake. And, And then it goes on, and that nothing irredeemable has happened to us on our way to our destiny in God's full world. Nothing irredeemable. That means, doesn't mean that some bad stuff hasn't happened. There is evil in our world, and it often makes its way in and influences us. But guess what? It's not the end of the story. What the adversary thinks he can use to destroy us, God will say, not so fast. And he will redeem it to perfectly position us to be a part of that significant delivery system of his grace to the world. And you've got a part, a unique and special part to play. We're going to start, as we so often do, with an example from the life of Jesus as he 
had experienced this acceptance from the Father, that declaration, and then he began to respond to that and and was sustaining that intimacy and developing that relationship with the Father through his practice of the disciplines, you remember, solitude and silence and prayer and all of those things. But I want you to see that he never lost track and, and potentially even had a growing awareness of his purpose, of his special place, Now, we're going to start in in Luke chapter 4, verse 42. This is Luke's version of what will sound a bit familiar as we looked at it last week. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. See, the crowds, will, the crowds will always have an opinion about what you and I ought to be up to. Other people are always going to have an opinion about the part that you ought to play. Often they're limiting and short-selling who it is that God intends us to be like they were here of Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I can't stay here. I got I to get the road. I got to get into other places. That's why I came. That's my purpose. He never lost track of his purpose of who it was that the Father sent him to be as he began to, throughout these three years of his ministry, progressively reveal more and more of himself to those who heard him teach and preach and and authenticate with the miraculous. Gospel of John, if you'd sit down sometime, you can read through it in, I don't know, 90 minutes, a couple hours, just cover to cover of, of Gospel of John. But watch for these... He loved the metaphors, and and he he delivered them in forms of I am statements, which is so powerful in light of God's declaration of himself to Moses, remember, by the bush. Who should I tell them sent me? Remember what he said? I am that I am. You know, and so when Jesus shows up and uses these I am statements, man, they're powerful. He said progressively through John, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. It's like he just kept removing another layer of his person, letting them in a little more and more to who he was and what he was up to in the world, never losing track of his purpose. And, and, and often they would try to ratchet up the timing on him. There was one particular time when, when they wanted to take him and forcefully make him king. Maybe you recall that. And he said, he avoided them. It's not time. My hour hasn't come. He was riveted on his purpose. He knew his special place of significance was coming, but it wasn't yet. It wasn't yet. Until finally in John 12, we hear these words. Jesus had been revealing to his disciples more and more about what awaited them in Jerusalem and that he was going to be turned over to the religious leaders and they were going to torture him and they were going to crucify him and he was going to die and he was going to rise again and it all just kind of flew up here. They missed that time after time. But, but before, in the midst of that, Jesus said to them, and he acknowledged in a, in a, in a moment You know how you have a moment? Jesus let us into a little what was going on unseen when he said, now my soul has become troubled. 
We don't get very many glimpses like that behind, you know, into this, what Jesus is personally experiencing. But here's one. My soul has become troubled, and who could blame him in light of what he knew was coming, the betrayal and the suffering that he was getting ready to accomplish? (laughs) My soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Should Should I desire the Father to deliver me from this? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He wasn't going to ask to, 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 to ha- circumvent what it was that was before him. He was acknowledging that it was vexing to his soul. But there's no way to go around this. This is my purpose. I came for the passion to give my life, to suffer and die and to rise again. Because he knew we were going to need a gift of eternal life. He wasn't going to avoid that purpose. He was locked on to that purpose in spite of what he knew it would cost him. Powerful stuff. He accomplished his purpose. <laughs> he suffered real human suffering and died and was buried, but as we know, rose again to make available to us that gift of eternal life through faith in his sacrifice. He accomplished his purpose, and now the mantle has passed to us. We have become the body of Christ, and there is awaiting each one of us a special purpose. Pastor Hudson calls it a place of significance in this cycle of grace. A unique part to play in the delivery system of God's grace into this world today that nobody can play just like you can. Jesus had his purpose. We have ours. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is a very familiar text. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Clear enough there, we're not going to work our way into a right relationship with God. If we could, what we would tend to do is brag on what we did to get there. Indeed, when we get there into a right relationship with God that will last forever, it will be only on the merit of Jesus, his finished work, his death and resurrection. That's what gets us in, all right? But that's not the end. It goes on, this text For, it says, we are his workmanship. One translator uses the word there, we are his masterpiece. I like that. I've been around long enough, I know that that we take some convincing to believe that. We tend to be able to recognize God's good work in others but we, we have a real struggle owning it and recognizing it in ourselves. But it's right there. We are his workmanship, and he's good at what he does. And he's going to continue to do it all the way home. It just gets better and better what he's able to do through us. 
as we invest in that intimacy with him, as we experience more and more of that grace, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So as a result of our being in Christ, what has happened is there is laid out an adventure every single day for us to recognize that we are being invited into the kingdom activity that God wants to unfold through us every single day. I said in the early service just came to mind, I don't know if those things happen. I have conversations in my head while I'm talking to you sometimes, but it's just, there's this We ought to get up every morning giddy as a school kid on the day of a field trip. You remember those days? I was always excited to go to school when there was a field trip. Sorry, teacher. Sore Stacy. I don't know. There you are. Sorry. Sorry. I was always excited for school on field trip day. Every day in God's kingdom as we wake up, we ought to be saying, man, Papa, what have you got for us today? What are you going to let me join you to unfold? What's on the path that you have prepared beforehand that I get to walk in with you? Isn't that what Paul just said in Ephesians 2.10? He's prepared that stuff in advance. We get to join him in it, a unique part. Your part is different than mine. My part is different than yours. But they're all vitally important. Often we fall prey to this concept of of comparison. Man, I can do that really, really bad when I sit out here and watch these guys do what they can do up here with these instruments or with their, their voices and say, man, God, how come I don't get to do that? You know? But guess what? They can't do what I do either. And both matter. Both are vitally important. So is yours. Your place of significance matters every bit as much as mine because I can't do what you do. He didn't design us the same. Yours is a unique spot just for you. (laughs) It's incredible. And when all of us are pursuing, when, when when we've experienced grace and we're investing in that relationship, that grace is not gonna stay in there. It's gonna find an expression. It's gonna say, hey, come on, join me. Join me in the kingdom. I've got stuff going on that I want you to be involved in. It's incredible what he'll do through us. It takes us all. It takes us all to be everything we can be. Now, some of you have, have allowed your uniqueness, your place of special significance to sort of remain dormant. You found, maybe you got hurt. I get it. The church is imperfect. We were capable of that. Maybe it got dismissed. Maybe your contribution wasn't valued. I don't know what might have happened along the way, but I'm telling you, when, when your gift doesn't come to the table, we're less than we could be. Something's missing. Now, we're going to continue on. We have to. But it'll be harder for everybody else when your part's not in play. It's like when you go to the toolbox and your hammer's missing. Gosh, how am I going to drive this nail? Well, 
You might be able to use a small sledge, you know, to drive that nail, or you might use the back of your pipe wrench to drive that nail, and you'll probably get it driven, but man, it would be easier if the hammer was in there. Honey, what did you do with, oh, Keegan had the hammer. Oh, yeah, all right, that's how it worked. <laughs> it is mind-blowing to imagine that as you look around this room, every single one of us, no matter how young, no matter how old, has a unique part to play in the unfolding of the kingdom of Jesus in the here and now that nobody else can play just like you can. And we need you. We need your part. It's why Willard says, it's good for us to be and to be who we are. So valuable when we recognize that. Let me give you some, some practical ways because maybe, I, I, you know, maybe you're open and just don't have a clue. And so let me give you some questions that I ran across here while back that are really helpful in terms of how do I know what it is that God has built into me, what my place of significance is. When, when grace starts wanting to work its way out of me, how am I going to know what that's going to look like? Um, Robert Madu from the Trinity Church in Texas in a Catalyst presentation I ran across had these questions that, that I think were helpful. And they're not really so profound. This first one simply says, what do you like to do? Can you imagine that God would actually have built something into you and you're going to like to do it? <laughs> Usually we sort of go the other direction with it, right? That if I lay it down for God, if I go all in with God, that he's probably going to do the most horrible thing imaginable. He's going to send me someplace that I absolutely do not want to go. Wrong. When we delight ourselves in the Lord... He will give us the desires of our heart. I don't think that means he's going to give us whatever we want. I think it means when we've invested in that relationship and when that grace is flourishing between the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and us, that our desires begin to align with his and we're going to love what it is that he's designed us to do. You know, when I was a kid, used to th I, I don't know where this came from. I don't know if it was just a scary concept. But, you know, you, you, wanted to, you wanted to serve God, and, and you, it was a little fearful because you thought, boy, if I commit myself to serve God, he's probably going to make me be an a, a missionary in Africa, something like that. Trust me. If you're investing in that relationship and grace is flourishing in, in that, your heart's going to light up to go to Africa. I used that illustration a few weeks ago at home, and afterwards, some international students sent a representative and said, hey, Africa's not that bad a place. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. It's, it's, it's a broken piece of us. We, we're scared of the unknown, you know. What do you like to do? It's very likely that that's pointing you in a direction of, of your place of significance, a significant contribution to the kingdom. And not just the product. Erwin McManus, pres, uh, pastor of Mosaic out in California, says you will, you will love the process and not just the product. Meaning, 
You're not just going to live for what it's going to create at the end. You're going to love the whole journey. All along the way, it's gonna, you're just going to have that sense of fulfillment. When you find that place of significance, your sweet spot, it's going to fill you. It's going to refresh you. You're going to lose track of time and, and, and energy will become irrelevant because it's just going to be there. What do you like to do? It's a great question. Secondly, what do others see in you? Now, we have some learning to do on this one. Uh, because we're not often very good at acknowledging what we see God doing in and through others. When, when someone else blesses you or when you see God using someone in, in an environment or in somebody else's life, we need to get better at letting them know. Because often others will see the hand of God in our lives before we see it ourselves. And it can be powerful when somebody else acknowledges that. One of the, one of the early times of my speaking at church, as in a message, um, years ago at Salisbury, and afterwards, an old lady came up to me and said, Oh, Scott, I can see what God's up to in your life. Scared me to death. No, sorry, ma'am, I'm, I'm farming with my dad. That, uh, this is just kind of, you know, this is just kind of whatever is going on. I, 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 that's what I do. Oh, no, she said, I can see God's up to something. Scared me at first. But it was a little piece of the puzzle that God used to confirm for me over a period of time that I would not spend my life on the farm that God had designed me for ministry. Some little old lady that just make a comment after service. You just never know. What do others see in you? And we need to get better at sharing when we're aware that God has used someone else in our lives. Third, what frustrates you? What causes you to bang the table and say, man, well, somebody's got to do something about this? You may be near your place of significance when you feel that kind of passion about something. Or what breaks your heart? What causes you to cry? Now, I know, guys, you've got all the techniques in place so that you, you can shut those tears off and avoid being vulnerable, not letting anybody know that something's going on in here of significance. I, I know we can do that. What breaks your heart? What causes you to cry? Uh, Frederick Buchner, an old theologian, said this. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, you know those rascals that just sneak up on you? First I feel my nose start itching, and then pretty soon here they are. It's holy smokes, what am I? I got something in my eye. What you know? Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, 
But more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from. What makes you cry? What breaks your heart? Biblical example? Nehemiah. Israel had, or uh, Judah had, had been deported. Their disobedience and they'd lost their nation and, and Nehemiah was in Babylon serving the king. And some of the exiles came through and he got them and said, hey, how are things going with God's people back in Israel? And they said, oh, they're in big trouble. So they're in despair and reproach. The city is torn, the walls are torn down and the gates have been burned. And Isaiah, I'm sorry, Nehemiah said, I wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That response came from that place of significance that God had designed Nehemiah for. And it wasn't long before the hand of God's favor was going to rest on Nehemiah and the wall would be rebuilt. But it started with a broken heart. Somebody's got to do something about this. Watch for those unexpected tears. Catch you from nowhere. Many years ago, another helpful tool was out. Uh, uh, Pastor Rick Warren at Saddleback in California. They had a program said, what's your shape for ministry? And it was an acrostic. S-H-A-P-E. What are your spiritual gifts? That's the S. God has supernaturally deposited in you capacity to develop ministry through his giftedness. We have listing of several in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 has some. We don't know for sure if those lists are exhaustive, but we do know that he has gifted us with the presence of his spirit and special things, special enablements that can be developed that help us recognize our shape, our unique contribution to his kingdom. What about your heart? That's what we just talked about. That's the H. What, about, what, are, your, what are your abilities? What are the things that you can do? You know, your vocation or your skills or your, your most valuable personal assets. Man, I love to go on mission trips and you can discover the most incredible things that God's built into people. Often they don't even know where those things have come from. They just have a knack to do things and they discover it in an environment like that where those things are lacking. Here, you know, not as much, but wow. What are your abilities God can use it if we'll make it available to him. Your personality, all unique and, and layered and, and, and special given to us, thrown into the mix that especially enables us to make contribution. Oh, and what kind of experiences have you had? Where have you been? What have you done? And I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that there are some significant experiences in our lives that we would look at, as I've already referred to, and think those were bad experiences. There was the convergence of some evil on my life that the adversary had every intention of using 
to permanently put you on the kingdom shelf. He was going to take you out of play once and for all. Some of you may still be walking in the dark shadow of something that happened in the past that the adversary thought would be irredeemable. Not so fast. Our God is way better than that. (laughs) I can't tell you as a pastor of many, many years how many times I ran across someone who'd been something through something that was so dark and horrid that it could have easily destroyed them, but instead they encountered an infusion of God's grace and God had brought them through that. And what a joy it was for me to be able to point the next person I came across who'd had that experience to them to say, oh no, God's not done yet. You need to talk to so-and-so because they've been there too. And it wasn't the end. That's a big part of experience. Man, oh man, that was God redeeming that which the devil thought they could use, he could use to destroy them. And God said, well, no, we're not going to let that happen. What's your shape for ministry, spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experience? It's like coming to the kingdom game with a fully stocked toolbox having everything you need. Once you have experienced God's acceptance and you respond to that that infusion of grace by tending that relationship, that grace will not stay dormant. It wants to get out. It wants to give you the opportunity to join him to deliver that grace to others in the here and now. All of us have a place. Maybe you feel like you've been dismissed. Maybe you feel like it's yours not been valued. That's not from God. There's a place specifically designed for you. And we as a kingdom are at our best when we're all in the game. When we're all operating with our unique part to play. Will we get along if you choose to dismiss what I've tried to teach you today? Yeah, we'll do our best. We'll keep going. But let me give you an example. Uh, I understand that when my dad was a young man, he he had a buddy that played the guitar, and my dad played the guitar. And and my grandmother played some kind of an instrument. I don't remember what it was. and, And his buddy's mother played. And the four of them would get together and they'd play, sometimes at church, sometimes just for fun. I guess they weren't too bad. You know, not, not this good, but, you know, back in the day, you didn't have to be that good. They was just, man, if you, yeah. You <laughs> but I never got to hear my dad play the guitar. Because one day when I was a little fella, he came home from the wheat field with his hand wrapped in his white handkerchief that he always carried, and it had just managed to bleed through. And what had happened was he jumped off the top of the grain truck and his ring caught. And he went through the rest of his life like this. You know, missing his ring finger. Now, 
don't feel sorry for my dad. He, he'd turn anything into a joke. He loved to show my buddies would come out when we were little, and it looked like when he put his hand up here, he had that finger clear up his nose. You know, he'd do those kind of things. And he entertained us with that. He had a great life, lots and lots of things he was able to do. It was fantastic. I, a great dad, great childhood. L- loved him till he was 76, and he got to go home. Lucky dad, you know? But I never got to hear him play the guitar because you couldn't chord like you needed to without that ring finger anymore. If you decide to let your gift stay dormant, or if you don't invest into that relationship of intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to the point that you just can't keep that gift in anymore, that place of significance... We're going to keep pushing. But I'm telling you the truth when I tell you. We won't be what we could be without you. Your part matters. Especially designed for significance in God's kingdom. We need you. If we're to be all that we might be. Let's pray. Father, thanks for meeting with us here today. (laughs) Thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to give thanks to you, to acknowledge your goodness, Lord. It's an incredible thing to think that we, as broken and frail as we are, as we are still under construction and still maturing in our faith, you have chosen to settle your grace upon us to such a degree that we can actually take part in the unfolding of your plans. As you build your church, Jesus, as all the world gets opportunity to learn of your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, where there is healing that needs to happen, for some of my brothers and sisters here today, in order for them to be able to re-engage or maybe to engage for the very first time, Lord, you bring that. Bring that healing to them in waves May we get better at recognizing and acknowledging each other's place of significance in the kingdom. And may each contribution be equally valued, Lord. And we'll hit our stride. And Jesus, you're going to look really good (laughs) because there won't be a part missing. Everybody will see. So you do your stuff now in our hearts, Jesus. And thank you for your death and resurrection that makes it all possible. That We'll celebrate now with this song. Make it so, Lord.